Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. Did you shoot her? No, absolutely not. The forensic evidence is just screaming that this is a homicide. Just out of the blue. She goes to your apartment, uses your gun, and kills herself. Yeah. Suicide, homicide, or undetermined? This is the mysterious death of Natasha Boinkin of Jacksonville Beach. I know my daughter didn't kill herself. It's obvious somebody else killed her. And why? So this is the story of a petite Jacksonville Beach beauty, 24-year-old Natasha Boinkin, who was found dead in an apartment that belonged to her boyfriend, November 11th, 2009. She had been shot with a loaded 357 Magnum after a night of partying out on the town, kind of with her boyfriend and without her boyfriend. Natasha was gorgeous, a blue-eyed blonde, a subtle boob job, and she was a tiny thing. And she was only like four foot ten. She would walk around and tell everybody she was five foot one. She was very vibrant, happy, bubbly. She wanted to always help people, but didn't take any crap either. So that's her mom, Angel, talking with Crime Watch Daily. So why did I bring up the boob job, by the way? Because there's a question about the trajectory of the bullet that pierced her heart and her breast implant, but not her bra. Thus, the name of the podcast, The Bulletproof Bra. Now, the night of her death, Natasha's friend said that she was going through a rough time, that she was upset about the death, the recent death of a friend who was fighting in Iraq, and her husband was divorcing her. So she was living with her mom, Angel, and she was dating a man 15 years her elder, Willis Casey White. goes by Casey White, and you'll hear that name again and again. They met at a skeet shooting club. Funny enough, she shot to death. Despite the massive age difference, though, Natasha seemed happy until she wasn't. Get this major red flag. Casey had told Natasha that he only wanted to date her on Wednesdays and Sundays, but she was not to date any other man. Right. Any guy tells me that and I am gone. You've got to be kidding me. So boyfriend Casey White only wanted to date her on Wednesdays and Sundays. So and she couldn't date anybody else. So what's he doing on Friday and Saturday night? Apparently, Casey was also recently divorced, and he just wanted to move slowly. Well, her mom thought Natasha was breaking it off with the older guy. My daughter said that she always felt like Casey was seeing somebody else, but she couldn't prove it because she didn't catch him. Natasha was breaking it off with him. And a matter of fact, she had texted him that afternoon. Yeah, and by the way, I think Casey was seeing Natasha's best friend, and we'll get into that further. They attended her funeral together. Anyway, the text Natasha sent to Casey right before her death wasn't a Dear John. It was an apology. It read that she felt like she had a hold in her heart because of this, quote unquote, and that she was sorry she came on too strong and that she was sorry she cares. It doesn't seem like she was breaking it off. And later that night, Casey told Natasha that he was going out with some buddies without her. So she planned to go out bar hopping herself along Jacksonville Beach with her friend, Miranda Hand. Now, before she went out, she told her mother something very, very troubling. Remember, she lives with her mom, but she's dating Casey, who has his own apartment. She said, I have something to tell you, Mom, and you're going to be mad when I tell you. And I said, what is it? She said, "I, I, I can't tell you right now, but I will say once again, you were right all along. 
So I would never know what that was because of what happened to her. So after her death, Jacksonville police brought in the last people to see Natasha alive, starting with her friend, Miranda Hand. Miranda told Jacksonville police that the two hit a couple bars and that Natasha had said she hoped she didn't run into her boyfriend. Then they talked to Casey White. What was your relationship with her? I consider her my girlfriend. So he says she's his girlfriend, and I think it sounds like Natasha was really in love with Casey White and the he was a player. I mean, when you go out on the town and you hope not to run into your boyfriend, hey guys, that's code for I hope I do run into my boyfriend. Well, 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 their paths did cross that night at a club called the Ritz. Here's Casey's recollection of what happened that night. As far as I was concerned, we had a great time. And then I said, hey, see you, baby. And she left and I left. And I was hoping I'd see her at the house. Well, he does see her at the house two hours later. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the next events are in question to this day. Somehow, Natasha ended up dead with a gunshot wound to her chest that seemed to miss her bra but hit her breast implant and blow a hole through her heart, killing her almost instantly. Aha, uh-huh, a bulletproof bra? We'll talk more about that in a moment. But police and the medical examiner, Dr. Valerie Rao, yes, if you're a Full Rigger fan, you've heard of this problem medical examiner before. I'll get to her in a moment. But anyway, police and Dr. Rao say that Natasha killed herself, but her mother Angel says her daughter would never have committed suicide ever. Here's Casey calling 911 after he finds Natasha's body. Speech 911. I think she just killed herself. I just came home and she shot herself right in the chest. Is she breathing at all, sir? No, she's dead. So Natasha had shot herself with a fully loaded 357 Magnum that Casey kept beside his bed. Now remember, as I told you, Natasha lived with her mom, but apparently Casey had left his apartment door unlocked. Perhaps they were supposed to meet up later that night after their night out. Well, here's Casey explaining his interaction with Natasha's body. How was she laying? On her back. And how were her arms? I don't remember how this one, this one was sort of like this. Did you did you move her at all? No. Touch her? I did not touch her. Take the gun up and put it back where it was supposed to be. Did you shoot her? No, absolutely not. But why would he pick up the gun and put it back? That's a huge red flag for me. And Casey's story doesn't match the crime scene. There was a trail of blood through the house. Generally, if you shoot yourself, the death scene is self-contained to where the shooting took place. You really can't get up and walk around if you shot yourself in the chest. By the way, that's the most common place that females shoot themselves when they commit suicide rather than in the head. Women want to leave a good-looking corpse. In fact, my second husband's mother also shot herself in the chest when he was a boy. She was in downtown Miami in her vehicle and shot herself in the chest. That's a whole other story. But anyway, Natasha's mom contends that her daughter's body was moved after she was shot. And there also appeared to be fresh bruises on her forehead, neck, and other parts of her body, according to her mom, who was looking at the case file and the evidence. Also, police conducted a routine gunpowder residue test on Casey's hands and Natasha's hands to see if either one had recently fired a gun. Her mom says the test revealed they both had. 
They said they both tested positive. So police also took a crime scene photo of Casey at the scene the night of the shooting, and Natasha's mom says it reveals something fishy. Casey had what appears to be in the crime scene photos is what they call stippling, unburnt gunpowder particles, across his forehead. He had to be present at the time she was shot. So the medical examiner, Dr. Valerie Rao, performed the autopsy on Natasha that morning and determined the manner of death was suicide. Her mom was livid. I told them they were wrong. My daughter wouldn't kill herself. Plus, there were a lot of things that didn't add up. Natasha's jeans were unzipped, her panties were inside out, and like I said earlier, the bullet tore through her breast implant and heart, but there was no hole in her bra. Plus, there was a blood trail through the apartment. Angel, her mom, says the evidence points to murder. Also, her daughter was rolled onto her back after she was fatally shot. Here's her mom. If it killed her instantly, there would be no way for her to say, well, I shot myself in the chest. I don't like the position I'm in, so I'm going to move. So Casey found the body. He says that he moved the gun, so he touched the gun, but he did not touch the body. And it's your contention that you, that you didn't touch her at all? Not at all. So perhaps he got the gunshot residue on his hands from handling the firearm? But then how did he get the stippling on his forehead, which is evident in the crime scene photo of him? Jacksonville police never tested the residue on Casey's forehead, so we really don't know if it is gunshot powder residue. So really, it's not confirmed that it was stippling from the gun fired near his face, even though police said it looked like it was. It looks like stippling to me. Ah, so Natasha's mom seems to be alone in thinking that her daughter was murdered because police, the Emmy. Dr. Rao and Natasha herself all indicated it was a suicide. Natasha wrote this text and cops believe it was a suicide text she wrote Casey moments before she pulled the trigger. It said, at your apartment and using your gun, thanks for keeping it loaded. Her friend also said that she was depressed. Here's Miranda finding out about her friend's death. We're investigating the death investigation. Miranda also said that Natasha had a history of depression, suicidal thoughts, and also cut herself. Miranda says that Natasha was also upset about losing a friend. She's really, really upset about her friend dying. That's Miranda talking about Natasha's friend who died in Iraq the day before. She wanted it to be her. What do you mean? She said she wishes for that. Instead of her friend? Instead of her friend. Her mom said that her daughter was not depressed, even though her soon-to-be ex-husband cut her off financially. She lived with her mom, so her mom saw her every day. She should know, but sometimes girls are more forthcoming with their friends. So mom got all the autopsy results, combed over all the evidence in the photos. You know, just digging and looking because I knew my daughter wasn't suicidal. This is um, the inside of her pant leg or of her jeans. If she shot herself, how could she get blood on the inside of the pant leg of her jeans? That's a forehead and that's a profound bruising right there. Uh, a deceased person does not bruise after they're deceased. So this was prior to her death. Right now, I'm truly on a mission because obvious my daughter did not kill herself. 
So Angel hired a private investigator. His name is David Hodges. He's got like 30 years experience, and he has some problems with the case. It stands out because of the absurd story that law enforcement is trying to sell, that this young lady going out for the night put her panties on wrong side out, put some gashes in her head, and, and then, then she went out drinking and dancing, and then after she went out dancing, she unzipped her pants, left them unzipped, took one last look, and shot herself. She got up and went off into the bathroom and left some blood on the door sills and then came back and laid down in a different position and said, okay, rigor mortis set in. That dog won't hunt. Hodges also combed through the whole file and says that he found other evidence that he says police ignored, like a fingerprint on the gun, which is visible in a crime scene photo that was never lifted. And then he says there's a problem with the bulletproof bra. Based on the trajectory of the bullet, the strap must have been moved. Their story is, is that it came out here, flipped that over, and flipped back into place, did no damage to the clasp, left no blood here or any blood on the sheets up against the mattress. And also through triangulation, he determined where Natasha's phone was when she sent that text that police believe was a suicide note. It was moving and not at Casey's residence. The forensic evidence just screaming that this is a homicide. I think she was killed and somewhere else and brought there. Cover up. Natasha's mom agrees and says she thinks Casey White, the boyfriend, knows more than he's telling police. Like, who moved Natasha? I didn't move her. There's a lot of weird, unanswered questions. And I promise you I wish I had the answers for you. Believe me. Just a little observation. When somebody tells you to believe them, don't. Police believe the blood got all over the apartment because he moved the body and didn't remember it, giving Casey the benefit of the doubt. Also, Casey White told police the residue on his forehead was dirt, not stippling. I mean, there's some bushes on that driveway. Maybe when I was going around the car, I hit the bushes with my head or something when I was going out downstairs. Is it dirt? or I don't even know what it is. Either do police because they never tested it. So perhaps the police and the medical examiner were so convinced that Natasha killed herself that they didn't launch a thorough murder investigation. What really intrigues me is the amount of blood or lack thereof at the crime scene. I mean, at the death scene. Here's Natasha's mom. There was less than a quarter pint of blood at the crime at where she was found. On the medical examiner's report, it shows almost four pints missing from her body. So her body's moved. Yeah, and this renowned forensic pathologist, Dr. Jonathan Arden, who worked the Chandra Levy and D.C. sniper cases, was brought in by the family to also look at the case. He has a problem with the gunshot stippling on Casey's forehead and the bulletproof bra as well. These are probably stippling, indicating that he's within maximum two feet of the gun when it's discharged. So the bra either had been slid up and then moved after the gunshot wound, or it had to have been either unfastened or off at the time of the shot and then put on later. Dr. Arden believes the evidence shows it's not a suicide. None of that really adds up for this being a self-inflicted gunshot wound, which is why I'm very concerned that this was actually a homicide. In my opinion, the manner of death for Natasha should be ruled undetermined at this point. So after police receive Dr. Arden's findings, they bring Casey White back in for questioning. She was a nice girl. I had no reason to harm her, and I would love to have everybody know what happened for closure, especially her mother. 
So Casey White did agree to take a lie detector test. Crime Watch Daily got the questions he was asked. They asked him three questions. First, they ask, did you see Natasha shoot herself? He answers, no. Then they ask, were you there when Natasha shot herself? Again, he says, no. And then they finish with, when Natasha shot herself, were you there? No. And he passed. My faith is in polygraphs. If you could pass a JSO polygraph, I'd be comfortable. They said he passed that test. He wasn't lying because she didn't shoot herself. So he wasn't asked if he shot her. He only was asked if he was there when she shot herself. The city attorney puts the onus on the medical examiner, Dr. Valerie Rao, saying the medical examiner is the sole person to determine the cause of death. Dr. Rao ruled the cause of death as suicide. We have done everything. Believe me, we have turned every single stone. So Dr. Rao disagrees with Dr. Arden that the cause of death should be undetermined. Undetermined to me is basically, it's a cop-out. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's easy for a consultant to come in and say, you know, to appease a family, the cause of death and the manner of death are both opinions. And you know what opinions are? Everyone has one. (laughs) Cause of death is an opinion. Hmm. So I looked it up. Causes of death on a death certificate represent a medical opinion that might vary among individual medical legal officers. And the cause of death dictates whether a case becomes criminal or not. It seems very arbitrary to me, especially when it's Dr. Rao who's making the decision. So I disagree with how Dr. Rao handled a case that I wrote a book about. It was the case of Cheryl Arujo who died in a single-car accident on a South Florida roadway in the 1980s. So Dr. Rao was a medical examiner in Miami-Dade County at the time, and Cheryl was driving with her daughters as passengers in her car. And Dr. Rao first said that there was no alcohol present. She did the autopsy. She opened her stomach. She said she could smell kale in her stomach, a leafy vegetable. But Dr. Rao told me she didn't smell alcohol at the scene or during the autopsy. You might remember that Cheryl Arujo was the girl who was gang raped on a pool table at Big Dan's bar. It was the movie The Accused that starred Jodie Foster that made her story famous. Well, I attempted to prove in my book, The Accuser, that Cheryl was murdered, run off a South Florida roadway. I even have the FHP report, and I interviewed the FHP trooper, and also Dr. Rao, by the way. Both of them went to the crash scene, and the report from the FHP confirms what her daughters both told me, that a white van ran mommy off the road. You must read my book, The Accuser, the true story of the Big Dan's gang rape victim, But I had problems with Dr. Rao, and it didn't end there. Dr. Rao first said that there was no alcohol present during the autopsy. FHP did not check that there was any alcohol involved in the accident. Paramedics did not smell any alcohol on Cheryl. But then two weeks later, after Dr. Rao found out who Cheryl was when she called Boston, and they said, oh my God, that's the girl from the Big Dan's gang rape, suddenly the blood alcohol comes back on the toxicology report, 0.26. And there's even messages from reporters from all over the world asking, but you said there's no alcohol involved. It was a mess. So, anyway, 
my problems with Dr. Rao don't end there. Apparently, she was a subject of recurring complaints from her co-workers dating back to 2009. WJXT-TV in Jacksonville, yep, Jacksonville, reports that there were letters sent to the city that, quote, Rao had been seen touching cadavers with her bare hands, poking her finger in bullet wounds, and also using a stick to poke a bullet wound, washing her feet in an autopsy sink, and performing unnecessary autopsies on inmates to create a revenue stream. Funeral directors said that Rao unnecessarily held up releasing bodies. Meanwhile, groups that procure organs and tissue from transplants said Rao blocked access to them in favor of other organizations. Other allegations included complaints from law enforcement that Rao walked barefoot through a bloodied crime scene, probed a victim's bullet wound with an ungloved hand, and poked another victim's wound with a tree branch. Her response to that is that she's from India and that she's fussy and removes her shoes before entering a home and she keeps them outside. And then she said, I would never dream of walking barefoot through blood. I would never in today's age of AIDS and SARS and hepatitis consider not wearing gloves. So I don't know who's telling the truth, but my track record with this medical examiner is not very good. And finally... When trying to talk with Casey White myself, I got this on the answering machine. Been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Casey, Courtney, and Brady. That, my friends, is the voice of Courtney, Natasha's best friend who accompanied Casey to his dead girlfriend's funeral. My hope is that one day, Angel King, her mom, will finally get peace and justice. The peace and justice she's been looking for ever since her daughter's death in 2009. Well, that wraps up this episode of Full Rigor. Check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast. Please leave me feedback. Five stars would be great. Until next time, thanks for listening.